Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome, loved ones, to our next episode of Sister Speak with Dr. Emma J. Church. Um, I am really excited today because this is a very brave recording that we are doing, and I have a very brave woman with me um, who will be sharing her story with us today. And <clears throat> we prepared a little bit beforehand, just kind of touch base because we are brand new acquaintances and we'll be close friends soon, I am very sure. Um, but I wanted to give a heads up, just a content warning for today's episode. Um, we will be having a conversation about abuse and also rape. And so that if these issues are overwhelming to you or triggering to you, you may choose not to listen or you may choose to listen with a supportive friend or um, partner or somebody that can be there should you need that support. So that's just a heads up for today. Um, and as always... The hope of this podcast is that you experience the inspiring overcomingness of these women and their stories. You know, pain and tra trauma and troubles happen, um, but our stories don't stop there. And so that's a that is a big reason why we are having this uh, platform to uh, inspire you and to give you resources and ideas about how women in our community have overcome the things they thought they couldn't potentially. So anyway, I have a remarkable guest. Uh, I have Monica Ramirez here with me today, and I'm so thrilled. Um, I sent her my little link to my questionnaire and, and asked about pronouns, and so she instructed me that her pronouns are lady. <laughs> so I'll do my best. <laughs> I laughed so hard when I was reading it. I was like, okay, lady, here we go. <laughs> um, so she is quite, quite a lady, quite a woman, um, a strong individual. We met just recently, a couple weeks ago, uh, at a local bar, Stay Classy Waco, um, and just connected. She is a yoga instructor and a survivor and just an inspiring person. And I'm going to be getting to know her as you all are as well. So, Monica. Hi. Hi. Welcome. <laughs> so thrilled to have you today, Monica. Yes. What a blessing. I truly feel that this is a great opportunity. So thank you for allowing me the opportunity 
to come in here. Absolutely. You know, a big part of the inspiration for this podcast is the idea that when we tell our stories, we heal. Um, And we heal, but also other people have an opportunity to heal. And so, you know, I am grateful to you for giving so many people the opportunity to heal today by hearing your story, connecting, um, experiencing those Me Too moments. And as I shared with you, I'm a survivor as well. And so I know that you'll be a blessing to me also. Um, tell us, tell our listeners about your yoga instruction and kind of like what you do. You know, we want to support you. So tell us a little bit about yourself in that way. Um, so I found yoga in 2015 after my mom passed in 2014 and I really have no clue how I am where I am, but I just kind of went with the flow and really feel passionate about it. Um, just because it's changed my life and I realize it's more of a lifestyle. It's not just, oh, you go in there for an hour and then you leave and you go right back to reality. And it's one thing to go back to reality the same person but it's another thing to go back to reality with a different perspective and i think that's what yoga for me has done and if anything it's connected me to my higher power which i consider god and um and i think that that's a beautiful opportunity for all of us on this earth to kind of figure out our purpose and and we can do that through knowing that right Mm -hmm. um so anyways I um, actually got my education here in Waco at Yoga 8, um, shout out, and I 100% recommend it, not going to lie. I feel really knowledgeable and educated, but it's also my experience in life. It's the teachers that have taught me. It's the places I've been and seen, but then now I'm bringing it right back home, and um, I just have this really beautiful opportunity kind of unfolding before me, Um, so I'm really excited about that, and to be able to share healing with the community, especially the community that I come from, that I've been running away from for so long and um now I'm back with such a different mindset with such a different perspective um and in a different place Mm -hmm. to be able to offer my healing instead of just saying all of these things um but not really practicing them and now I'm listening to the words I say to the students that I'm teaching and then I practice that off my mat and I'm like wow, like it's really powerful when, when we can train the mind to think differently and, and unlearn and relearn. and mm-hmm. um, Yeah, what you and I do are not so different, mm-hmm. right? And <clears throat> I'm connecting in numerous ways at the end there, this whole like practice what you preach thing, you know, working with patients for the last 12 years and trying to assist them with healing from abuse and healing from trauma and self-esteem issues that come with that. And Mm. it's so easy to care for another person in that way, but then to incorporate that practice into your own self-work, you know, for me has been the change of a lifetime. Um, And I shared with you, I think when we first met that I recently have become pretty passionate about yoga. Now, is my practice perfect yet? Absolutely not. Um, you know, I, I started yoga because I know there's efficacy and research um, that shows that yoga assists with healing trauma. And as a trauma survivor, and as I'm kind of like a energizer bunny when it comes to my own healing, I'm like, I have to do all the things. So um, I started looking into yoga and specifically yoga that could be trauma informed. You know, it's very, it was very hard for me to sit in the stillness of yoga 
Um, and I think that's pretty common for trauma survivors, any sort of sitting in stillness, because your thoughts may go anywhere, and then you might trigger yourself, and then you know, have a panic attack, and, you know, I'm not wearing Lululemons, I'm almost right. 40, I'm not there to get a sweat on, <laughs> you know, I need That misperception of our Western society, yes. absolutely. Yes. It is, uh, you know, you say, you know, it's not perfect it's not about being perfect, right? right? It's about, you know, one of my teachers actually says all the time, practice and all is coming. So mm -hmm. it's it's always a journey, you know, mm -hmm. when we stop learning, when it gets perfect, hopefully we're dead. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like at that point, um, you know, hopefully we're not, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. At the end of the day, like it's not going to be, we're not meant to be perfect. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it, it's a it journey. Is, it's such a good reminder. Thank you for therapizing me <laughs> this morning. Yes, perfect. Listeners is a lie and does not exist. And so it's about just intention and how you choose to value and spend your time and, you know, retraining your brain. It is a process. It's one that I know that you've been through kind of from what you've shared. And so um, <clears throat> before we get into Monica's personal story, I do also want to shout out to Yoga 8, my amazing um, healing yoga practitioner that I'm working with also works at Yoga 8. So Sharon Boren, Ooh, shout out Shout to out her. Sharon. I know. I love that girl. Is she? Love that lady. Magic? Uh, She's magical. What a blessing to the community she is for sure. And nobody book with her. I mean, everybody <laughs> book with her, but Sharon, I've got to get my sessions on your schedule uh, before people start booking with you because... So excited for her new space opening up. Yes, at Waco Rec Center. Uh, she has she has changed my life. Um, and I've, I've done maybe six sessions with her, two workshops and four individual, and it's already changed me so much. So anyway, love your work. Excited to practice under you as well in the future as we move forward. Thank you. But you know, we're going to talk about your story today, um, and I, I like to have my my guests start a little bit with their origin story, like <clears throat> where are you from, kind of what, what's the backdrop to when we get to the story of, you know, at the beginning, um, your your abusive relationship that, that you were in, kind of what, what was your life before that? I think my, my life has always been pretty... I don't want to say traumatic, but, you know, not normal. You know, I ask other people, I'm like, what was it like growing up for you? And they're like, oh, well, it was fine. I had no problems. And I'm like, and then I think about my life and I'm like, what? it was the complete opposite for me. You know, and then how can I relate? You know, then I'm over here like telling my pain and like, well, you know what? My mom was like really mentally ill and was like manic bipolar and fibromyalgia and like major depressive disorder and like major anxiety and like got air flighted out of our front yard one time you know what I'm saying like real mm -hmm. real stuff that I grew up witnessing and I know is real and like that's why I have a really hard time trusting what other people tell me about myself how can you tell me what's wrong with me when you're just trying to feed me something to cover it up essentially and I witnessed that with my own mother um yeah, that being disconnected from your truth or right. the truth of the situation. And I mean, you know, she was from Nicaragua, so that's a whole third world country where, you know, people sleep on dirt floors and, like, they grew up coming out of an earthquake that was really traumatic, you know. And I know that she experienced things that made her disassociate in several ways, but, um, and, you know, like, it's taken a long time for me to even understand that, Um because I grew up and, you know, I was disrespectful to her and I didn't understand. And um, 
but you know, when she died, it was like, I never got, I, I didn't have the opportunity to say, Hey mom, I love you. And I'm really, I mean, I did tell her as I was getting older, but if only I had that last chance, you know, and that's why I always tell people like, you never know, like you really don't know. And it's really important that if you love people to not leave them in a space of hurt, because like that could injure so much of your mental healing progressively, you know, and, um, and at any moment in time, your, your mind can take you back to a time of how could you have done that? What were you thinking? And da, 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 da. And you have to go back to your space of that's not real. That's not true. I've already healed past this. She loves me. We're fine. You know, like yes. we're good. Yes. And uh, so, and then I was 21. I got in a really bad car accident. I got in a DWI. I had a passenger. It was my my abusive boyfriend, but we weren't together at the time. I was in the hospital for a week um, here in Waco. Mm -hmm. uh, so I had to go through all that. But after that, I moved to Houston with him. And then that's whenever we became a couple. And I lived there for about five years. Um, and it was during that time that, you know, you experience, you know, you move somewhere with someone, you think y'all are going to get married. You have all these fantasies and like you don't see the red flags. You don't see all the drinking. You don't see all the partying. You don't see all the problems, mm -hmm. but you see all the love. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was uh, it, it progressively got worse. Um, you know, it was like yelling and then it was fist balling and then it was like getting like walked into the corner of a room and then it was like pushing back because you were afraid and then he would push you and then it became like breaking things and um you know i told my you know i don't want my my family to repeat this curse you have a niece and a nephew and like um i don't i don't want her to have to experience the things that i did and i don't want my nephew to be the you know perpetrator behind these things and so to make them aware and let them understand that this is very real um and it starts with you mm -hmm. well and as you're saying kind of repeat this curse uh, the the last recording that I did, we talked a, a lot about intergenerational trauma and uh, those of us who are elected by whatever uh, <laughs> reason, source, uh, choice, whatever that might be, inspiration to heal intergenerational traumas. Um, and hearing the story, you know, growing up, having a mom who struggled with mental illness, you know, coming from a third world um, culture where she was experiencing a lot of traumatic experiences. You know, I don't know the details of her life. You know, you, you spoke about the earthquake, but, you know, trauma does severely impact mental health. Absolutely. And so, you know, struggling with that mental illness, the ways in which that affected you, um, kind of the traumas of your own life, but having this mindset of wanting to break this cycle, and and what a powerful role that you are in that you that you are choosing to be in here or maybe that you've just found yourself in uh, <laughs> I kind of feel like I found my <laughs> very fortuitous I've been vibing on that word fortuitous for a yes. while so it's very fortuitous <laughs> yes it's I was thinking good fortune the good fortune of being this warrior who breaks this intergenerational trauma cycle um, it is one of the most painful things a person can do, but one of the most worthy things a person can do. And so, you know, I, I very much um, resonate with that. Like, this is a privilege. 
Like this is good fortune to be able to do this healing work in our own lives, our own stories, and to pave a way that's different for the future, um, whether Absolutely. they be family members or other people that get to witness our journeys. But um, tell me, do you feel like that car accident um, served as some sort of like a bonding experience with the friend that would become your boyfriend? Like you went through that together before you moved do you think that was any I feel like it was a part of it as well it was that it was um you know because you know I was in the hospital for a week he walked out with like a little scratch on the side of his head they Mm -hmm. thought that he was driving um um but yeah once that happened it was like well I mean it was a make or break and then and he was there for you during your recovery. No, um, you know, actually, this is a red flag. Is okay. like he was upset that, like, okay, so get this: the cop went through my phone, and we weren't together. And that's what I'm saying. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. Like this, there's a darkness lingering, and I know it's in every city. I know it's everywhere. But the mm-hmm. thing is, is like the light is shining bright, and I'm and I'm ready. You know, that flame is not flickering. Yes, and. It's, I'm so excited to have these opportunities with you. But yeah, I do feel like, you know, that happened. And then it was like, he was the last boyfriend to meet my mother. You know, all of these things, like these things that I thought, oh, well, we were meant to be forever. Mm. I must have to deal with all of these things because you have been here with me, mm-hmm. for me. And, and when there's an abusive dynamic growing up, I think it's very challenging to separate love and abuse because they have coexisted in your childhood experience with caregivers. And so that can predispose people to not identifying when something isn't love, you know, when there are abusive factors there. And I know in my own marriage that I told you about, um, I'm a survivor of um, abuse from that and you know with my story I couldn't I didn't know that being treated poorly wasn't okay I didn't know that being spoken to harshly and being made fun of and humiliated and controlled and all of those things was abnormal because that was just kind of an extension for me of life as I had known it um so tell me about you know when things started to get bad like those beginning stages and maybe things that you now know are red flags, but that you missed. Right. Well, just going back to what you were saying, I, yeah. I do feel like that is that generational curse. You know, like I saw my parents love and it was very angry love, you know, like their communication was yelling. And so me witnessing that it evolved. Mm-hmm. My sisters evolved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is the the fuel that drives our understanding of how things are supposed to be. Right. That's why it's so important to, like, be the change, right? Be the change, talk about the change, talk about mental health, talk Mm. about relational health, all that stuff. Absolutely. So, yeah, when did things start to get negative? You know, before, because we talked about physical abuse being this, you know, a lot of abusive relationships don't get to that level, and people don't know they're being abused because they've never been hit or shoved or pushed, but yours went to that level, and so I think, this is a, a really important story to hear, like kind of the lead up to that and then, you know, how you started to make try to make sense of it as things were getting violent increasingly. 
You know, it's it was like a I, I keep hearing this analogy. It's like a, a frog in boiling water. Yes. Or you know, and it's a very slow, progressive, and then all of a sudden, before you know it, you're boiling to death. Dead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you and you feel it inside. You know, you do feel something inside that's telling you like this isn't right. You know, I uh, I knew I was disconnected when um, I started like. I know this might sound gnarly, but, you know, I started seeing, like, those dark shadows Mm -hmm. and, like, feeling really paralyzed Mm -hmm. and not being able to move and just, like, trying to breathe, but you can't. I'm conscious. I see this, but I can't. And, you know, and I think it was in those moments that I was kind of becoming, like, afraid of the energy that I was in, but I didn't realize what, what these thoughts were now. Like, now I can look back and say these things because I've reflected for a lot of years, like, seven six, seven, five years around that, you know, so, um, this has been a process, but, uh, you know, the worst thing that he did, the last thing that he did was, uh, like it's through like a hot pizza on my back. We had just gotten back from Galveston and like he, him and I were just not conversing very well. And we were like, he, I was yelling and, and then like, I was leaning over to get something up. We were at our space. And like the next thing I knew, like there was a hot pizza on my back that he like wow. threw on me. And like, I, I didn't really know what was going on and like I get up and I like go to the room and I'm like crying and I'm like how could you do that and da da like leave me alone and then he leaves me alone and it's fine but that was the last part and that was the last thing that he did physically to me and I knew that wasn't right you know but I didn't know what to do and and we were living together and you know all these things and but I I knew that I had to do something and so I, I don't really know how it happened honestly like I guess I haven't like really like thought it was just a really slow progressive like yelling fist balled getting walked into a, a wall like being controlled first being mm-hmm. controlled first that controlling very thing. controlling like like don't do this don't do that don't talk to those people you know mm-hmm. let me go do this let me go do that you know but it was it was a very um not it wasn't very reciprocal yeah. relationship and again like you can feel it you know something is wrong you know something you just don't know what mm-hmm. So you have to, but you feel so, you know, I was very codependent, Mm -hmm. you know, I was very codependent, you know, he had the car because I had gotten in that DWI, you know, he had the job, I had just moved to Houston, I didn't have any friends, my family was three and a half hours away, you know, they were not very, like, happy with me, so they weren't coming in, like, you know, it was not very healthy altogether, and again, like, it was, it was one of those things, like, I thought that I had done that to myself, and now I have to pick up the pieces. And there was, you know, even before this major one that was physically abusive, there was one before that. And then there was one before that, you know, like there ever since I was like 16 or 17, I was experiencing these very aggressive, dominant, controlling individuals. And it's like I, I didn't know why. And they progressively got worse. Mm-hmm. So um, that sexual trauma began with my like 16 year old boyfriend mm-hmm. because he just like completely, you know, they were, we were, I guess, like teenagers. And like, even though you don't want to, you should anyways. And like you already have, so you might as well keep going. And then like the more you did, the less, the less like full you felt. And so Mm -hmm. starting that at 16 and then getting to like 21, that's five years of that same feeling. And just like, you know, this whole like false empowerment of like, oh, well, if men can do it, then ladies can too. So you go out and like hurt people because you're trying to hurt one individual, but you end up just hurting yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds a lot to me like this issue of consent and 
you know, sex education for young people and really understanding, especially for females. You know, this is an area where there has been a grade F complete, F minus failure, you know, centering females sexuality what pleasure is he like. said f minus <laughs> failing yes i agree yeah um and so you know starting to have sex at a young age i think for a lot of women um they learn that they they have sex even when they don't want to and they don't understand that that's not okay and you know when we talk about the definition of rape um and the definition of consent you know rape is considered coerced if it's coerced into happening like please and there's a no and it's like but come on but we, we've done it before and, da, 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 and then you have sex that that is technically considered rape you know these are by the world health organization and then you know consent is active enthusiastic ongoing throughout the act and so if mm. young girls were taught about that, I think there'd be a little bit more awareness as to the sort of damage that you're you're speaking to that I also can relate to that so many of my patients are like, when we start talking, they kind of go back in time and are like, oh my gosh, how much of the sex that I've had has actually been, been consensual? And, you know, we're not educated on this, but as you, as you mentioned, like, it started long before this relationship, these dynamics of control and like disempowerment for you and probably just felt normal, even if it felt like this isn't right, but it's normal. So right. it's okay. Like I couldn't be the only, like I was the only one, but everybody does it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's normal, but should it be normal? No. <laughs> that's what we're talking about. And this is the thing is I think our culture is hyper-sexualized and desensitized. Mm-hmm. We And that's a bad combination. Absolutely. And then Absolutely. we have songs out here that are going into our minds, that we're consuming, that are going into our subconscious, that though we may not be experiencing, we are experiencing through others. You know, and it's like that energy is like, mm-hmm. it's almost like it's hardcore. It is. It's an, I mean, this is an understatement, but damaging, severely damaging. Um, confusing. Confusing. Disconnecting from one's own body, from one's own perspective, relationship to the self, um, to our voices, to our consent, to our identities, those sorts of things. So when you, you left, it sounds like, and this is a very common dynamic in domestic violence and in abusive relationships, but... You were very isolated, it sounds like. So you didn't have friends, you didn't have a job, you didn't have a way to get out of the house, you didn't have a car, you were kind of disconnected from your family. So, you know, when I think about risk factors and domestic violence, I'm like, okay, when someone is isolated like that, this is a breeding ground where these sorts of things can happen because people aren't there to witness or check on or for you to process with. Um, So I would imagine leaving the relationship was incredibly challenging. Yeah, it was, but it was also not. And I kind of went out the the coward's way, I say, because I kind of like cheated on him and, you know, didn't go home and was like, he's like, he had broken up with me several times before, but then he did it again. And I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. let's break up. Mm -hmm. I'll go, I'll go over here for a minute. You can like do, you can move out and like. He did. He left. And 
at that point in the game, I did. I had a really great friend, which was his best friend's girlfriend. And they're still together. And I love it. I still hang out with them. And like we, they, him and my ex were still, still friends, you know, BFFs. And it's great. You know, like we can coexist. I don't see him. We don't see each other. He's married to someone. Like it's kind of, it's interesting now, like to see where people are after all these years. But, um, I think that was part of the healing is, you know, is, um, if I didn't have a good support system, though I only had one person that was really backing me up, and that was my girl, Christine, mm-hmm. um, then I don't know if I would have been able to do it. But, you know, I had that person that I was, like, engaging with, that I was, like, finding support in, and then I had Christine, and then I had a job at that point, you know, and I was working, and I had a, I was actually working um, for a pretty, pretty, pretty cool spot in Houston. Um, so it was, it wasn't difficult but it was emotionally challenging in the mm-hmm. sense because I knew I was it was easy I was like Psh, all right we're done because like you wrote you've done this so many times I'm over it like let's do this for real mm-hmm. but emotionally it was like back and forth like is this right should we do it but I I remember like writing in a journal and, and writing down like I am emotionally detached from this person I do not want to be with this person mm-hmm. like several months before we actually broke up you know and the, and the yeah. sex was already really disconnected you know like I had to you know you take yourself somewhere you're just kind of laying there thinking like what are we doing what is this why am I doing this you Mm -hmm. know it's it goes back to that thing like you just you think you're you know you're a woman and like you're like oh well that's what you know he wants to do it and that's what I'm gonna do and if he if I don't do it he's gonna get it somewhere else and it's like then go Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know like Mm -hmm. where's that empowerment like where's my empowerment for myself to say if if I'm not enough then go. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, and, a and, wor- and if he's not enough for you, then, then go. go. <laughs> That's the other empowerment is like, I deserve to be present. I deserve to desire my partner. I deserve to feel an emotional connection. And if I don't, then I get to go. But that's not talked about. You know, the fact that you said that really, again, kind of pulls up my own story of this, you know, one day there's just like, no emotional connection there and it's like what happened and for me it was like this light switch flipped and I was like what there's just no there's no more love left it was like all of the love and as a person who is um people pleaser in recovery formerly codependent you know everything was about doing for and loving on and pouring into and then all of a sudden one day I had none left And so, you know, I I think that that is a gift, that emotional detachment that happens after prolonged abuse, because it's the thing that is kind of a springboard. You know, I don't have that connection here, even if it was was codependency driven. Thank goodness it just, you know, flipped off for you. Mm. I'm telling you, it was it really was the yoga that kind of shifted the perspective, though, because. That was very empowering to me. And, you know, we say that word yoga, right? It's it, That's just like a really four-letter word for a grand party. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's mindfulness. It's being, pre- you know, mindfulness being present. You know, it's, mm-hmm. you know, you talk about yoga helping trauma. It's, it's opening up the parts of ourselves that are normally closed off mm-hmm. and breathing space into them and holding yourself in that space and knowing you're safe in your own body. And, and I think that that's what, you know, society has done a really good job of, they've taught us how to be disconnected. Mm-hmm. Teach me how to be connected with myself. 
But as soon as we do that, <laughs> bye bye money, you know, to all of the people, you know, like, but where's the love in that? There is none. So mm. it's about finding the people and being open and communicating and knowing transparency really is key. Mm-hmm. It is key and it is brave and courageous. Uh, that is a thing that a lot of people are not able to do, you know. And one of the reasons why I'm like, I love this lady. Um, <laughs> you know, I, you want to speak truths. And truth is really hard for people. The truth of themselves, being really honest with themselves, and then being honest with others because of shame and because of, you know, how people will, will respond in abuse situations or sexual violence, you know, there's a lot of victim blaming and stuff like that. So to be a, a person who speaks truth is really a courageous act because it's not normed in our society. <laughs> but as you're saying, like this, this is something that contributes significantly to health and is essential really in, in full recovery um, when you've been through the situations you have. So when you broke up, was that right around the time your mom died and right around the time that you found yoga? My mom had already passed, and that's why I was like, oh, I'm supposed to be with him. So um, she had already passed, and I just, I don't know, it was probably less than a year than she had passed. And, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I lost that. I'm just... It's okay. <laughs> yeah, tell me about... We'll just pause for a second for edit. So tell me about finding yoga. How did that start? How did you find it? What? When did it start to become like a passion? Give me that. So this piece. was a, this is a really like, this is one of my like DMT, like my mind went on its own trip stories. Cause you know, our brains can naturally produce that whenever we're like enclosed and like can really go there in a space. Yes. In the pineal gland and often with Right. Trauma. In the pituitary back there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like near death traumatic experiences. You know, the pineal gland releases this chemical DMT when a person dies. And so it's, it's also something that can broaden people's consciousness you know it's found in these medicines sacred medicines in um south america ayahuasca that sort of thing so yeah i've never had somebody just kind of bring dmt well i didn't so i didn't do it it was more like my brain was going there like my brain went there yeah like my brain did it on its own in a in a in a class that i was just like i had i was working at a gym and i had a student or like a member would be like, hey, have you ever done yoga? And I'm like, nah. <laughs> Hands me a Bikram gift card, and I go and try it out. I see this chick in there, dude, and I'll never forget it. This is my life experience. I walk in there, and this chick with – it's a full class. This chick with no arm is in the front of the room. And this is my first time going to a yoga class, and you know, you do the same 26 movements, and it's, like, not really that easy. You're in a really hot room. You're like, <laughs> you can't breathe. It's not good. I mean, it's good for some, right? Not good for me either. Like, yeah, my muscles are shaking. I'm like, I feel like I'm gonna like die. pretty much pass out. Yeah, I'm like, where's where's the good? News? Anyways, <laughs> she was doing all of it, so that to me, I was like, all right, this is there's something here. You know, I don't know what it is. I don't really get it this way, but like, there's something here in the mind. And uh, mm-hmm. then I, this is important. I transferred gems, and then I. Um, started meeting different teachers that taught yoga and like one of them was like this older man and one of them was like this younger chick and they both taught so differently and the older man like helped me get like that 
that strength, but the younger chick helped me get on like that, that level of, I was in Shavasana one time and, um, I, my mom had died and, uh, I think I was still with my ex and, uh, I remember like, I could see myself and I saw a tree and I was walking up to this tree and I could see my mom underneath it. And she was just, she kind of like looked back and, and looked back at me or looked back at, you know, whatever she was overlooking. And I walked up to her and I was like, what are you like, what are you doing? You know? And she's just been like waiting for me. And I like laid my head in her lap and she was just playing with my hair. Like as she was looking over the city or, and it was just like so power. And I just started bawling my eyes out and I'm like, what is this? You know, like this is so powerful. I, I, I needed that. I needed to know that, she loved me and that's what gave me the strength to love myself to get out of that relationship even though I did it in a way that was very deceitful I had to do something to save myself and you know and I was in my I was in a very probably like four to five years and not into a church-based Christ but like my actual I'm learning about God myself through my own studies you know, like, I'm going to read these books. I'm going to come up with what I need to understand because I was raised, you know, Catholic and I didn't really understand. And, you know, you got to do this and that before you can get here. And it's like, well, but I don't want to like, why? Like, why am I going to believe in something like that? Like, that's mean. <laughs> and so I didn't, you know, and for like five years I was lost. And then I was in a, that one of the for like a pretty steady abusive one. Um, I was about 18 and then I found I reconnected through music um lauren hill mm -hmm. peace of mind very powerful song um and at the end of it she was worshiping god and i and i had asked him i was crying i was like bawling my eyes out and i was like god like let this next song that plays if you can hear me let this next song that plays be my be my decision in this relationship and it's literally that song and i was like what and i'm like crying with it and it's crazy and it's it's powerful i'm 18 years old going through this and i'm like all right well i'm not going to deny that but i still don't know who you are and so here we are and i'm in this relationship and now i'm my you know the first thing that happened when my mom told me my mom my dad told me that my mom had died i picked up the bible and i just started reading mm -hmm. and I, I just don't know. I don't know why I just did, you know, and that was just my first re response. Like while my like my ex was like crying on the couch and I'm just like sitting there like reading the Bible and like I wasn't even crying at that point because I didn't know, you know, and I'm just like watching him cry, like sobbing. And I'm like, that's my mom, though, <laughs> you know, like that's my mom. And I'm just like having to hold my strength in front of you, you know. And anyways, I understand he was full of pain, too. But anyways, um, and then I and then I, I, I felt that I, I felt that peace of mind with her. I literally felt it all these years later after she had passed and like knowing she loves me, knowing all is well, knowing I can choose mm -hmm. to do better for myself because she sacrificed herself. She's no longer here for me, but she can live through me. Mm -hmm. I can do better. Mm -hmm. Your story reminds me so much of this Takmi Tan book that I, I've, I know. I love Guru. Yes. Um, but where he, he talks about losing his mother and just the grief and the pain that he experienced until he had this experience, you know, through meditation or maybe it was a vision. I always misquote all the things, but I'll get to the heart <laughs> of the story. But he talks about having this very, like, real experience walking outdoors in the moonlight with his mother and talking to her after she had passed and how real it is. 
And when you were sharing that, I immediately thought of that. And I'm like, this is, um, you know, the, the miraculous power of these spiritual mindfulness practices. Um, you know, I've not experienced that, but you've experienced that. I've, I've heard of that before. And what a beautiful gift that that gave you, that yoga gave you in that. It sounds like it really changed you, that experience. It made me realize how strong I was because first it was the physical aspect, like I said, and I had been in that car accident. I did one session of PT and that was it. I'm like, I'm getting out of here, like you know, and so I was like done. I'd moved to Houston and then um, I didn't think I could do anything. And I was like, and then I started doing all these things and then my mind started changing. And you know what? You talk about not experiencing something like that. I'm, I'm, I'm my goal. If there is one, is uh, obviously the space has been like, mm, you know, like mm. the heavens are shining. I'm ready. Um, but to teach meditation, to have, you know, like, you know, I know someone in Temple that does yoga nidra. Shout out Joey. You know, like bringing that here and helping others experience. And it's not about worshiping this or that you know I worship God like I said so I know my source if you know your source then there is no issue mm -hmm. and if you don't know your source this is a great time to find it because we're in the middle like we're in the middle of a transition and like we're in a big shift and a lot of people are confused and a lot of people are listening to other people's thoughts to be guiding them but in reality again they know that that doesn't feel right to themselves but they're spewing out other people's opinions. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how do you really feel though? Like, think about it. You know, do you, are you really consenting to this individual? You know, do you really feel like that? Yeah. Why are you holding on? You know, it's. Yeah, where are you in this story? What do you feel? What do you think? What do you want? What do you need? Where, what is the purpose? What is meaning? You know, having that space because so much of the time we just go through life mindlessly. Oh, yeah. And, and that's their job. Mm -hmm. Keep us distracted. Mm -hmm. And, you know, absolutely I'm seeing this in my practice. This is a time of transition in lots of ways. And I think in spirituality I'm seeing it a lot that, you know, the religious context that people were raised in cannot contain the situations of life that they're experiencing, whether that be traumatic events um, from the past that are coming up or whether that be COVID. You know, COVID, I think, has had this kind of mass experience of like, hey, guys, we're not in control of anything. <laughs> okay. And people are like, what? <laughs> I thought I was in control of some things. Uh, no, no, we're really not. I mean, we can, we have impact in our lives, but we're not in control here. Okay. And that can break people's brains, I feel like, <laughs> you know, and then I'm, I, I try to be there to help them put the pieces back together. But, you know, what you are, you're speaking to is absolutely something I'm seeing. And we need these alternative resources and methods and, you know, bringing people here to this town specifically mm. seems like something that you are passionate about. Yeah, I'm passionate about community because I know what it feels like to not feel, you know, loved or fit in or just viewed as as this or that like people look at you as other people's opinions and they firmly believe them without even asking you who you are and you know I'm, I'm a firm believer that we're not our past mistakes and that people can change but when they're put in positions of change one must act differently that is true change if you are put in those positions again and do the same exact thing again you have not changed mm -hmm. you can say that all you want but 
when you are truly changed, you other people can see it. Yeah. Other people can feel it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what I think is a unique thing about this space is Waco is a little big city. It's kind of run by people. Mm-hmm. And that's okay, I guess. But, you know, there's there's definitely darkness in having human power. Mm-hmm. And words of Kanye West, no man should have all that power. And, you know, there's a couple of them here in this city. So it's like, again, knowing these quote-unquote prominent people and then knowing how they act behind closed doors when it's dark outside, when they're, you know, intoxicated, Mm -hmm. you know, let that be your excuse, huh? You know, that's not an excuse. Mm -hmm. I'm so sick of everybody, you know, you know what? Yeah, we do drink. Yeah, we do stupid things when we're drunk. We do ridiculous things when we're drunk. But, you know, in those moments of being drunk, you still kind of know what you're doing a little bit, except unless you're blackout drunk. And in that point, I think that's when everyone must self-reflect about why we're... I mean, I think we should all self-reflect on why we're drinking. You know, I'm talking uh, to Brianna a lot, and, and that's that's some of our conversations is like, why are we drinking? Why are we not drinking? Why are, You know, why? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, something that helped me so much working with a somatic experiencing therapist when I noticed that, you know, I didn't like how I was using alcohol, Um and it was very, very clear. It was PTSD-related, trying to kind of um, uh, modulate my nervous system, uh, that she gave me this piece of advice that was like, when you consume a substance, I want you to say, I'm choosing to be in an altered state. Mm. And I was like, okay. And then <clears throat> with that, it became much more mindful of it. And then, you know really examining the whys and do I want to and allowed me to really change things. Um, And before that, before that piece of mindfulness, that kind of stopgap of like, I want to change my, I want to alter my state. um, That gave me the mindfulness space to say, no, I don't. Like, do I? like Or, yeah, I'm choosing this, and who am I choosing to do this with? Am I safe? All the things. And so I love that you're having those conversations, but also kind of seeing the ways in which um, it is bringing a lot of darkness, potentially, when people are unconsciously um, using substances to potentially numb things. Um, or to take advantage of people. Or, or to take advantage of people. And, you know, I, I always try to give this education that alcohol is the number one date rape drug. Okay. Number one. And I know that we're going to transition a little bit into talking about sexual assault. Um, you know, I was raped for the first time after my marriage, a couple of months after my divorce, and alcohol was used. I never drank during my marriage. And so, I, you know, at, at 37, I was like a, an adult adolescent. You know, I didn't know how it would impact me. I didn't know how it would impact me during the day. Um, <clears throat> and so this person was known to me, someone I had considered a friend, um, someone here in town who also holds kind of a position of power and prestige and <clears throat> just gave me alcohol all day long, like floating a lazy river. I've never done oh, anything like Oh, girl, and you're in the sun, and yeah. you're healthy. You're, yeah, that's, that's, right. Yeah. So, like, as a 37-year-old that didn't, I was taught alcohol was evil, kind of, like, demonic, you don't get drunk. So I'd never experimented with it, really. 
And so I didn't have that information. Therefore, I didn't have information about when you're in the sun. I didn't have information about, you know, drinking, day drinking. And so, you know, that for me was this um, this factor that led to that rape um, was alcohol and my, my not understanding that I was being groomed in that way. But... Um, you know, as, as you know better, you do better. As you learn, you're able to educate. And I do know that alcohol is the number one date rape drug. You just, I don't know that any of us anticipate when we're going to be raped, okay. right? And if we did, we would turn in the opposite direction, I feel. Absolutely. Do you feel comfortable sharing a little bit about um, kind of your experience with rape recently? Um. You know, it never starts off that way, right? You know, you just think you meet someone exactly kind of that. And it was an individual that was hanging out with the people that I know. And and you, or you think you know. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you think you know, but that's why I put that in quotation marks. But nobody can see that, so I had to say that. Um, and so, you know, I, I'd never seen that individual. And then, like we shake hands and it's no big deal. And then I have to leave. And as I'm leaving, he, he like stops me and is like talking to me and is like, Oh, you teach on seventh street. I've seen you. Um, you've looked right at me. And I'm like, I might've looked at you, but like, I've never seen you because I'm ensuring that my people are good. So mm-hmm. I'm making sure you're not looking at them. You know what I mean? So anyways, um, and he didn't believe me, so it was fine. But gave me his number. Totally thought he was single because I'm single. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just text my name. That's it. And then he responds conversationally. We're texting back and forth. Um, I don't really communicate with many individuals of the opposite sex already. So it was kind of interesting to have a conversation with someone, you know, and a seemingly deep, like, depthful. Not, not comp- mm-hmm. it was a big facade, but... Right, a manipulation, I would imagine. Yes, everything I wanted to hear, blah, blah, blah. And um, so then he's like, can I call you? I'm like, sure. And so we talked for like an hour. And again, this is that situation where like, you know, I go and lay in my bed because it's like midnight. And he's like, do you want to come out to my to my place of business? I'll say that. And um, I'm like, what am I going to do out there? It's 12. I'm living moody. I'm going to drive all the way out there, just drive all the way back. And I know like you're already telling me that you're drinking over there and you're asking me to have a drink like, what am I going to, where am I going to stay? And he's like, we'll just figure that out. I'm like, hmm. Well, obviously, I mean, okay, fine, we'll figure it out. So I go out there. Um, and we start drinking, and then my phone is always dying. And I needed to charge my phone, and so I unplugged his, and I plugged mine in. And there was a chick on the, his background. You know, people have sisters, so I'm like, I didn't want to assume. And, like, you know, again, I'm already just, like, in my head of, like, oh, I don't want to upset him. So I gave it a second, and I had a drink, and then I'm like, Who's it on your phone? Oh, it's a chick I used to date a long time ago. Okay. All right. I had another drink. And I'm like, okay, I'll accept that, I guess. Um, but feeding me. Here, you want another one? And so I do. And um, I'm like, is that your girlfriend? <laughs> and he's like, yeah. And I'm like, what are you doing? Mind you, in this process, like, I've seen two cops pull over one car right outside. Saw it with my own eyes, and I'm like, ugh, I've been drinking. And, like, so these things are already going through my head, and I'm like, now you've lied to me. You didn't even give me the option. Like, if you would have, 
I would have never even talked to you if you had a girlfriend, bro. Like, what are you doing? You know, now you have me in this position where I've been drinking. Now I know you have a girlfriend. Like, now I'm in, like, you kind of got me in a place where I look a little, you know, mm-hmm. not how I'm trying to look. And so I'm, like, getting a little bit defensive, and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, this is not right. And he's gaslighting me at that point and making me feel bad. And, and I'm like, well, I need to go. And he's like, all right, bye. And he's like, you're going to go out there with those guys? Talking about the cops. And, like, and, and, and mind you, during this whole conversation of us communicating, he, he made all these things very clear. He's like, you know, I, I'm, I'm known in the city. You know, I'm not going to get in trouble. Um, you know, like, it's, it's, and it's things that I know are red flags, but I'm just like, oh, you know, I told one of my girlfriends this who lives in the Carolinas, and she's like, Monica, you like to challenge people, and sometimes that's okay, but, you know, you don't need to try to change everybody and, and help them see their purpose. And that's my that's my thing is I saw something that I was like, man, something's wrong with him. I need to fix it. Mm. And then that's what initiated the conversation And because you can see it in people's eyes, especially whenever you're aware, mm-hmm. you know. And um, it's, it's one of those things that I, I, I've – I've struggled with my whole life, but I see now I, I've, I haven't experienced something like this. Like I was telling you in 10, in 10 years where someone has put me in a position where I said no several times, several times mm-hmm. and it didn't stop. And, you know, and then it got to that point of, you know, I, I, I got to say this word, but like penetration, you know, and it's like, I said, no, I, you literally asked me before you did it. And I said, no, and you did it anyways. Mm-hmm. And then you do it a couple of times and then you're like, you're like, is this okay? And I say, no. Mm-hmm. And then you stop, you know, but it's like, it's, it's not okay. And, and it's like, you go back to like these moments in your head of like shame and, and, and like, well, I shouldn't have put myself there. And what was I thinking? And, and, you know, he even tried using that against me. I was wearing these loose pants. I wasn't wearing any underwear. It doesn't matter. He's like, oh, you weren't even wearing any. And I'm like, what? Like, that doesn't matter. Like I'm comfortable in myself. Like I'm going to wear what I want to wear and it's laundry day. Okay. Like give me a break. So it has nothing to do with desiring sex. That's what I'm saying. Yes. And you know how vulnerable you were in that situation, especially given your past with the DUI. It's like, I can't drive. There are cops out there. You know, I, this person's gaslighting me. I'm already impaired. So my ability to kind of defend against these manipulations is down. And, you know, I relate to this saying no a hundred times. <laughs> And it doesn't stop. And at a certain point, you know, you realize, I can't stop this. This is just going to happen. Um, And then it's like, you hold on to that. Mm -hmm. And and it can become such a source of self-blame and Mm. self-shaming. And, you know, we hear victim blaming culture all around us well what were you wearing well were you drinking well what were you doing over there why did you even go to begin with and you know i know trust me but that doesn't mean i was going over there to have sex and it doesn't mean that i could have anticipate being raped either right again had i known had he given me the option of knowing that he had a girlfriend i would have never (laughs) but then literally the next day kept saying sorry I keep laughing because it's just it's like so funny to me I'm like I can't believe like there's such darkness and like wickedness literally you know what I mean and like trying to burn people's light out and like flicker that flame but um you know it was just 
he kept saying sorry, kept saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I'm like, what are you sorry for? What are you even sorry for? You just keep saying sorry. And he's like, well, 90% of this is for me. And then like stops himself because he realizes how ridiculous that sounds. And then later on is like, I'm sorry that I lied to you to get what I wanted. But I'm like, you might have taken what you wanted because I didn't give it to you and never talk to me again. I know I'm going to see you around. Don't even look at me. Don't, don't like pretend like I'm the stranger you don't even want to see type thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, so for me, it's, it's been a process of you, but I'll tell you the most beautiful thing is like, again, like I believe, and I, I, again, like that it was that same morning, like I was driving home and I was in, in my filth. He had the audacity to take a shower and like not even and it just it bl- it blows my mind how how little people that are like that think of other people and it's of course dehumanizing and, and of course they do because they wouldn't have put they would I wouldn't have been put in that position had they not already been like that right so anyways and I was driving home and like um I saw the clouds and I'm a super big sign person <laughs> I was just talking to one of uh, one of my girlfriends she knows me best and she's like you're always you're always looking at the signs and I'm like yeah man because like what else is there and I looked at the clouds and the clouds looked like they were they were out like this like kind of like like um how would you explain this like open mm-hmm. palms wide open and it literally looked like that and I was driving forward and I looked up and I was crying because I I, I I knew something was wrong but I didn't know what and I and I hadn't quite like processed all of it but like I, I saw this and it was and I felt like it was like God telling me he's like give this to me and I, I have to say this because it was like this is what like Jesus suffered for like for you for for you to not hold this pain like he took that pain like give me this pain you don't have to hold this like give it to me let it go and 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 use your tools use the tools that I've given you that you've cultivated that you've been working on you're stronger than this right like you don't have to hold on to this anymore and where I, 10 years ago, I blamed myself. It was my fault. I shouldn't have done that. I said, no, I was crying. It doesn't matter. It was still me. Mm-hmm. But here we are, and I've, I've matured emotionally, mentally. I've retrained myself to know that that's not okay. And every person that I've told this story to since then has not only believed me, Wonderful. but told me a story of their own. Some of them are really, really sad, and they give me chills to my bones, like how ab- abusive and, and uneducated and ignorant some people can be to others based off of their desires. Yes, absolutely. And this is what happens when you know a patriarchal culture establishes pimp culture. We yes. are in a pimp culture. Power, power in the masculine, in the dominant, in the you know, submit to me, I own those that are below me, and that is of my own conception and a patriarchal message, but it ends up being women and minorities and these people that have been historically disempowered then become tools for the use of people with that mindset, not human beings with emotional worlds and the impacts of the actions that are perpetrated against them. They're just an object for my gratification in whatever way. Um, I want to connect around the signs after the <laughs> after the rape. I um, part of my own healing because at the time uh, going through a traumatic divorce, 
you know, I was afraid and I didn't have the emotional energy to seek justice. And, you know, one of the things I know as someone who has done therapy with rape survivors since I began as a clinician at Baylor University in 2010, um, I was kind of thrown into that, doing that work. Um, but part of that is understanding that, you know, only 5% of perpetrators of rape ever spend one day in jail. Five percent. Five percent. And this is why women don't, <laughs> don't report. Absolutely. Um, and the effects of trauma on the brain are we can't really remember things in a sequence accurately and, um, you know, that gets poked holes in mm-hmm. and a legal process. And so, you know, I knew all of that for myself. I didn't have the emotional energy. I knew it was unlikely for justice to happen. Um, this person is um, someone who spent time in prison as a felon. Like, I was scared of them. Um, And so the healing for me that I could access at that time was um, I did write them a letter saying, I know what you did, and you know what you did. Um, There are other things in there I don't quite remember. But, um, and then uh, finding a new tattoo artist, because this would be my tattoo artist for a number of years. Um, And so... I found um, one of my absolute closest friends, dearest friends in the world, um, Rissa, over at Embrace the Chaos. She's an incredible human. I was like, I need this seal to be broken. And I found her just strangely. I went into the shop. I tried to book with her, and I was sent to somebody else who did not have my my style. If anybody knows me, I'm highly tattooed. Also, it's in the picture (laughs) on my (laughs) podcast cover. Um, But... I was like, no, I'm going to wait because I need to see her. And so the day of the appointment, she had drawn a tattoo, and I was very into, like, signs and symbols at the time, and she had added an aspect to this tattoo. She had added a daisy. And I'm sitting in the chair. I'm looking up the meaning of daisy as a symbol, and it means new beginnings. And I was just, like, sobbing in her chair. And she's just such a beautiful, safe, spiritual person. And I walk outside, and I'm walking to my car because my office is down by the Alico building, and there's a giant rainbow over the Alico. And I was like, what? And to me, that was such a beautiful kind of affirmation of my intention of this is part of my healing. This is a new beginning, a fresh start. And, mm, and rainbows are symbolic of that. Exactly. So oh, I had the daisy. Dead. I had the oh. rainbow. I'm like sobbing. So, yeah, there is this beautiful, when you are connected to the divine, to to yourself and kind of your own process of seeing things that give you these blessings and give you the strength to keep moving forward, knowing that, you know, you're not in this alone and also there's this me too, right? As mm. you've been telling people, then they share their stories with you. And, you know, this is a very easily accessible statistic. Um, and I think it's underreported, to be honest, because of people not coming forward. Coming forward. But the statistic we have, or there's two numbers, um, one in four or one in five women have been raped in their lifetime. Oh, I would say three out of five right now, based off of the stories I've been told. Like, it's honestly been almost every single one, like literally. Right. It's an epidemic. And I think as we're understanding consent, like we talked about later, people are realizing, oh, I think I was raped because I didn't want it. I was pressured into it. I did say no. Oh my gosh. So I I would agree with you. And I see that in my practice too. It's like, 
the statistic is way underreported and the one that we have should be startling to everyone. Mm. Everyone should be pissed about this. Um, and I know that like there's great men out there. I'm not saying all men are doing this, but I think it's an edge. It starts with education, like educate men on how to respect women, educate women on how to respect men. Like they're just teaching us that if you have sex without protection, you're going to get pregnant or get an STD. That's basically what I remember from sex ed. And I don't even know if they're even teaching it in schools anymore that much. So like how, how do we learn and and how is the government going to tell us, you know, it's like, it's just, it's interesting. But, um, I think what's, I think what's really, really, really cool is to have local conversations, to have Mm -hmm. conversations within your own community, to provide that safe space for the people to come together, to understand like, Hey, look, like, you know, that word rape carries a lot of baggage and, and it comes with a lot of feelings of like, well, like, should I feel guilty about this? Should I, you know, should I hate this person? Should I, you know, whatever. But, you know, it's such a beautiful time right now. All of us are in a time of grief. Every single one of us is not experiencing grief right now. And grief is one of the hardest things that I've ever experienced and I continue it daily. Yeah. You know, it's not something that just ends all of a sudden and it's like, ta-da, we're through. It's like, no, like every single day I have to choose joy. I have to open my ancient text and read it and know it's sacred to me and know I want to imitate that and only that. And through my actions is how people are going to know who I am. Again, like people can talk all they want. I had another ex that used to do that to me too. And speaking of this most recent ex, you know, he did, he did everything for me. He, he bought everything. He like flew me out to all these different countries. Like he did, he like wine and dined me, but in the bedroom would call me a stupid V I T C H. You know what I'm saying? Like really aggressive. And I, and I was like, you know, and for some reason I was like, oh, it's only fine if you do that in the bedroom. Don't ever say that out here. But it's like, why would I even think that that's okay in the bedroom? But I, again, I had never experienced anything like him before. And I was like, oh, well, he loves me. He wouldn't do this if he didn't love me. He wouldn't stop talking to me casually for whatever reason, even though he'd been talking to me every day on schedule for no reason. You know, he's busy, whatever. And then would fly me out to Thailand or Hawaii or Australia or the most recent one, Croatia. You know, my life is, you know, we broke up in Croatia. You know what I mean? Like the most beautiful place, whatever. We were just like, ah, like this is, this is, this is enough. You know, this was great, but it's enough. And even that took a really long time of like eight, nine months of back and forth, back and forth. And it's like, enough is enough. Yeah. And, and speaking it, and I'm so glad you bring it up, you know, and I talk about the psychological forms of abuse. They're so significant because they just directly impact one's identity. And oftentimes, you know, there's no mark of that. There's no bruise to show right. that. And so, you know, sharing, being called a stupid bitch, you know, I think that's important because we need to be educating each other that, that's number one, not normal, and number two, not ever okay, and number three, it's verbal abuse. It's not just this thing that happens, but when we don't have anyone to talk through it with because we're so scared or ashamed or whatever. Or we think it's normal. Or we think it's normal. We literally, I'm, yeah. I was literally like, oh, it's fine because it's only in the bedroom and it's great sex, but it's like, that shit ain't great. You know, like that's, that was really demeaning to me and I didn't even realize it. And that's what kept me looped in this circle for so long. I was like, oh, well, 
he wouldn't be so generous with me or da 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 da. It was just, you know, and, and they know what they're doing. Like manipulative people know what they're doing. Controlling people know what they're doing. They're acting with intention. Whether or not they want to admit it, that's on you. At the end of the day, you're going to have to face that in this lifetime or the next. And, you know, that's something that I had to say to that perpetrator that's here in Waco. I was like, you might not want to tell your girlfriend, but what's done in the darkness comes to the light mm-hmm. in this lifetime or the next. Well, and a huge part of holding a space for women to speak their stories, you know, that is the point of this podcast is part of this global collective healing that needs to happen. Women's voices have been silenced historically. And so, you know, especially over the last 2,000 years, there's just been this silencing of the experiences and stories of women, not to the only to the public, which is what we're doing here, but even amongst women. And when we don't share our stories, we can't evolve, we can't learn, we can't learn from each other, we can't find that connectedness and belonging to know this isn't okay, and to know, oh my gosh, it's not my personal shame. This is something that's happening to many people, and in fact, victims, it's not their shame. It is the shame of the perpetrator. But when victims are silenced in their stories, we tend to end up holding on to this, this is a bad thing, this isn't... Maybe I can't talk about it. And and then we start to believe it's normal, the things that happen to us. but And, and maybe statistically it is normal, but it shouldn't be, right? And, and when we speak about this, I challenge anybody listening to not be moved by that. Like, do we want this to be the experience of women and young girls in our country, in our world, as we move forward? You know, and there's movement here. And so you and I are hoping for change and the courage to share a story. Hopefully it doesn't take as much courage for future generations to just speak the truth of what's going on so that they can be um, have that reflected back to them. Like, no, it is not true. You are not what was told to you. You are not what has happened to you. Um One of the things that impressed me so much was in your paperwork, just this kind of refrain of not living in fear, no fear, no fear. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I'm (laughs) sorry, I went on a tangent with that. I I totally like went on a tangent with all that. Tangents are my favorite. (laughs) Um, You know, and I I forget that you're from New Zealand, bro. I love your accent every time. I love it. I was just like, dreamy, but um. No fear. Um, so when I was, you know, in my youth, I was probably I was on probation from like eighteen to twenty three, um, and that was based off of like just mistakes that I was making up until that last that last occurrence of that DWI. Um, and I remember I would have to go to court. And I would be so nervous because your girl did not love herself. I was acting out, acting ridiculous, thinking I was entitled. I deserve this. I did it, you know, like spoiled, not really understanding the concept of reality because why? So I would go, I would like listen to, <laughs> I would listen to, um, that's called I Ain't Ever Scared by, uh, I forget, oh my gosh, uh, I know his name, but I can't think of it right now. But anyways, 
It's a great song, and it's basically like I ain't ever scared, you know. Like I'm not, and I would listen to that before I go to before I go to court. But then again, I was like in that process again at 18. I was looking at, um, I was reading, I was in that beginning process of looking to the Bible for guidance, and I would open up and just read. And I remember reading like, you know, you take all of my anxieties. I have no fear. What can man do to me? You know, these types of things were what I was reading at that point in my life, and. Um, and so I started cultivating that, like, what can man do to me? What, not even man, but human, you know, what can another individual do to me if I have God on my side? And, um, honestly, like it's just taken a a serious, 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 like self-reflective, uh, daily journey to, um, find forgiveness for myself, find forgiveness for others, um, and to trust and to trust that everything is cool and, you know, like we have but one but one purpose and that's to, you know, love, you know, but none of us know how to do that anymore. I don't know if we ever really did, but we have it in, not inside of ourselves. We can mm-hmm. choose to love, but I think a lot of us, again, we're just so disconnected and we're angry and we're, you owe me this or I owe, you know, like, how can you do that to me? Like, let's, let's like, let's skip words and go straight to the guns and it's like, hold on a second, like, you know, wars were started over miscommunication, Mm -hmm. miscommunication, not communicating properly, you know, and I feel, you know, the Bible is a very big book and it is a very like, oh, well, you can't do this and you can't do that. But it's also very full of profound wisdom. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it is, you know, I don't, I'm one of those people like I I was I've been baptized in my adult life. It was this really crazy situation. But like I I'm you know, I chose that and I, I'm very mm-hmm. grateful for that. Um, but after COVID happened, I'm like, I don't got to go to church to worship God. The sanctuary like is like outdoors. We're right, it's right here. Yes. Like we are the hands and body. You know what I'm yes. saying? And like it's my actions. Mm-hmm. It's not what you tell me to do. It's what I do. And that's what also like. I yoga has helped me is, is like, you know, there's all these words and all these ancient teachings of like how to, and the Bible talks about to meditate, but how do we meditate? You know? And it's like, but these other things that I feel in my opinion that God has created that like, you know, different ways of teaching different people, you know, like has reached us. And it's like, this is how you meditate, you know, like, let me teach you so you can teach them, you know? And And, you know, and I live a very different lifestyle. You know, I don't have a normal job and I don't work a nine to five. And anytime I've ever worked in a place like that, I've always felt my soul being drained from me. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like severely depressed and I don't know why. And so I've never, I don't think I'm an, I feel like I'm a celestial being in a terrestrial world, you know, type thing. And, um, and I've had to come to that, you know, to terms to that, even though it's just like my fun way of being like, I know I'm different, Mm -hmm. you know, but it's okay to be different. And I, it is hard for people to relate to me because I'm so bold in my speech and what I believe in. And, and, you know, like I said, like this whole situation that happened with this person here, that's so prominent. Um, you know, at first I was like, you know, it was, I was, I remember I was sitting on the toilet just like naked and I was just bawling my eyes out, like in a, like a nice little crunched position, just like thinking that it was like, I was grieving that part of myself. I'm like this person, I felt as if something was like stolen from me. And then and I was like getting it all out of me like that, that disgusting feeling of, of like guilt and shame. And, and then I remember like lifting my head up and, and then just like 
but I got to keep going. I got to keep going. I got to like, I, I felt like a butterfly, like literally coming out of the cocoon. And I've been seeing so many butterflies and just like mm-hmm. flapping their wings. And I'm like, you know what? They really do have to come out of that sometime. And this is the last time that this is ever going to happen to me. And I'm here to bring awareness to it. And I don't, you know, and at first it was one of those things like, oh, God, like, you know, like, I, I, I didn't, I, did, I should have known better. Da, da, da. And it's like, you know what? He wanted, he wanted me to give that to him. He's like, I know you made a mistake, but it's fine. Give it to me. It's fine. And, and with that, I can draw strength in knowing that it is fine. And that faith and discernment and knowing, like, now I know for sure what type of people or person and now I'm very aware of, you know, and I, and I had been talking about that for so long. I'm like, be careful of your energy. Be careful of your energy. Be careful who you hang out with. Be mindful. Be mindful. What are you, you know, to not only the people around me, but to myself. But it's now coming into action. And I feel this hyper awareness. I feel the energy. I'm looking at people. I'm taking out, I'm not drinking so much to keep my, my you know, like a nice little sober mind. Mm-hmm. Um, because you can feel people. There's something inside of us and, and you can feel because, yeah, we're bodies, but we also are souls and energy, energy. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this place right above our belly buttons and it's called our solar plexus. And science has even proven that there's a ball of nerves residing within our intestinal organs and they call it our second brain. Gut feelings. It's also <laughs> known in the ancient practice as the source of our intuition. Mm-hmm. So... Funny how Western and Eastern do come together, do mix. If as long as we, I know science got to back everything up, but how about we just feel? Absolutely. You know, and you're preaching to the choir with <laughs> me as a therapist here. Why don't we just feel? I think people are really afraid to feel. Mm. And what they don't know, and I know that you will know this, is that in order to heal it, you got to feel it. And Absolutely. So, you know, you, I see this arc of your life of being about not the things that have happened to you but the ways you've responded by healing them and um, no wonder that you exist in this space without fear because we cannot prevent the traumas from happening and you know I will say the mistake you made because you said I made a mistake it was in trusting someone Right, mm, that is the only absolutely. mistake. Absolutely, and, and trusting someone in that way. Yes, and so you know what a beautiful quality in a person to be trusting, because the way that you approach others and treat others is through this very thoughtful, love-infused, love-foundationed um, way. And it's hard for us when we exist this way in the world, those of us that are empaths, highly sensitive people, whatever you want to call it, um, can't imagine doing violence to another person. Mm -hmm. Therefore, it's very hard for us to understand that people have to earn our trust so that we know that they also wouldn't be someone who would do violence. Because just in in your brain is like, well, what? No, I would never do that. Of course, no one would ever do that. And then it's happening. Mm. And so, you know, learning how to trust is a big thing. But Eastern and Western are coming together. They're coming together in my field. They're coming together in our culture. And I think there's a lot of beauty there. Um, There's so much to be learned from other cultures. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I love to read some quotes from some of my favorites. So as we were talking, I was kind of looking at some Thich Nhat Hanh, 
and he speaks to fear, the only way to ease our fear and truly be happy is to acknowledge our fear and look deeply at its source. Instead of trying to escape from our fear, we can invite it up to our awareness and look at it clearly and deeply. And I, I think, you know, even having you here today and sharing so much of my own reciprocally with you, not only for the listeners, but for our relationship, <laughs> which I intend to maintain <laughs> after this, this connection, there was a lot of fear for me. And, and I've processed through it and I've worked through it, but the fear of speaking the truth out loud. Mm. Um, you know, now we kind of give it over to God or the universe because there will be people with different perspectives Absolutely. on what we are sh- sharing. And I know that we are both sharing from this place of love, from this place of wanting to help and heal ourselves and others. And that's something that I trust. And that's that resides in my solar plexus and that bundle yes. of nerves. Like, speak the truth. Speak the truth. Um, and then another quote by my favorite, Dr. Maya Angelou, hey. who I have quoted every episode because she's my girl crush and amazing. Um, and this makes me think of you too. Hope and fear cannot occupy the same space at the same time. Invite one to stay. You are a profoundly hopeful person. Um, man, is that evident throughout our time together today, you know, so many people dwell in the past and focus on the past, and we've shared about the past today, but every time, you know, you redirect to, this is the change that I want to be part of in our community, in the world, and that's that's the hopefulness, and no wonder, you know, you're saying, no, no to fear, no to fear, I'm not afraid, no to fear, because there's so much hope in you, Um, and I share that too. We wouldn't be doing this if we didn't both have that hope that things could be different. Yes. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Church. Like for real, I feel very, 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 very much mutual feelings. And, you know, I've been gone for like eight years. I just got back. I'm just now kind of popping back into the community. I've just now been in the community, like actively doing yoga since April. Mm -hmm. And here we are in August. So it's, been a very quick trip and here we are like opening up space in downtown uh, Waco to to create that safe space and you know to be able to have you know grief meetings to come together to not even practice yoga but practice yoga by coming together and unifying and and knowing that we're not alone you know we are interconnected and you know we all do think differently and I think that's important and I think a lot of us have been hurt by words and I think it's important to recognize that but create your own relationship with what you believe in you know, and I think that's really important. And um, because, again, there's just, you know, we we are we are lost, you know, and uh, it's very important that we find our source of trust. And again, if I hadn't have lived such a tumultuous life, you know what I mean? And, and I love my, my my parents. You know, I know that they did the best that they could with what they had. Absolutely. And my father was, you know, an USMC for, Viet, you know, like Vietnam and stuff like that. He didn't like physically serve in Vietnam, but like he got you know, he experienced that breaking down to be to be rebuilt. And that creates a lot of PTSD. And I'm very grateful that now in his 66th, 65th year of age, he's admitted that he struggles with PTSD from all of that. And that's what created the animosity and the anger and his triggers and his bursts of anger. And that's what my sister and I learned. And so I've really had to calm myself down through all of this, right? Mm-hmm. And so I used to be really angry. And especially when my mom died, I'm like, Pfft. 
what are these people upset about? They don't even know what pain is. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't relate to you. Mm -hmm. And it took yoga to teach me that everyone suffers. No one's suffering is more difficult than the other because though one might see your suffering as easy, you might see mine as very challenge or easy, but it's very challenging to me. You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's suffering is not the same. It's, it's like a, a weighted scale. And, you know, mm-hmm. we are the ones that get to be the holder of the scale to balance it out, you know? And again, some people go their whole lives without experiencing anything tumultuous. They get their parents until they're 80, you know what I'm saying? Like they're blessed. You know, that's mm-hmm. one of those things. Like I'm not here to be like, you deserve trauma because I've lived a life of trauma. I'm here to be like, yo, I've experienced trauma and I'm going to make the best of it because what else am I going to do with it? Like, mm-hmm. And I'm here to say a little bit, kind of, sometimes I bully, but it's always for, like, a really good purpose. But I'm here to say, you may not have experienced trauma, but you need to listen. Mm-hmm. I may be a woman of color. I may mm-hmm. be a survivor of abuse. I may be, you know, any of these things. And my voice is essential for you to hear. I have power in this voice. And so there's no judgment of my suffering. There's no comparison to your own. Mm. There is just this call to action for people to listen. We, we must listen to one another. And, you know, it's not up to you or I how, how the words that are spoken hit people. Um, but I think it is up to everyone to develop this skill of listening to pain and allowing that to transform them. You know, I have no control over that, but this is this is my hope is that people can be transformed by the painful stories that you have shared, that I have shared, that others have shared, so that they can be better, so that we can feel that interconnectedness and responsibility to one another, to be kind, to not dehumanize, to not oppress, to not take advantage of. And, and it's terrifying. The truth is really scary. You know, we talk about these people who have um, harmed us significantly, even in this town that we live in. Um, and, you know, they're not going to be people who listen when they're not people who take responsibility for their behaviors. And so that's the other piece is like doing that self-inventory that only individuals who have some sort of spiritual practice or who might be in therapy or are intentionally looking inwards to Mm -hmm. self-examine um you know if you're not doing that you're someone that easily won't take responsibility for the harm you do to others so i think you know those are these pieces that i'm hopeful for for the future is listening to voices that haven't been listening to and allowing the suffering in those voices to transform us and that means taking responsibility for the things we've done and that's also about truth as well like what is the truth and I don't envy um abusers you know I've had numerous I don't envy rapists because like the truth of what they have done this is why uh, oftentimes you know people are serial perpetrators of these things because the pain associated with realizing I have oppressed and harmed and raped and taken advantage of and abused I have to be responsible to that. I don't envy that process, but I would imagine it feels somewhat similar to the pain 
that we as victims of them have experienced and we've been able to survive it. Mm. So I know that they can too. Um, but, you know, here we are putting some puzzle pieces together and I hope it inspires the people listening to start doing the same, having these conversations. Sure. And it's, we, you know, we are the generation. Mm-hmm. We're very conscious. Mm-hmm. So we hopefully in the future, you know, we'll be the ones that, educated our youth to let them know that this isn't okay don't ever allow this men don't do this ladies don't accept it Mm -hmm. you know be yourself but don't accept disrespect Mm -hmm. but we don't know how to respect ourselves so you got to cultivate that well and as we connect you know in relationship with others Mm -hmm. that can appreciate it it's like my respect for you my hope is and i think my hypothesis is you do feel it, that you can feel my respect for you. You know, when we have other people and support system is one of the things that you want to share about, you know, as we're ending, I'll I'll let you kind of share the key things that you want (laughs) to give to the listeners about what you've learned from this. Um, But when you can find community where people are honest you know, there's bravery there, and there's just a whole lot of respect for the resilience mm. that I see. Um, and so, you know, this is how we respect each other, right? Like seeing that strength, seeing your humanity, um, seeing your courage, seeing your bravery, seeing your resilience, all of those things. Um, you are so worthy of, of that respect. Um, so as we kind of finish up, what it, what are your messages, kind of final thoughts to the people that have listened today as you've bravely shared <laughs> of your own heart and soul and life? Mm, I've really enjoyed our time. That's one thing. I've really enjoyed this. You know, at first I, I was in my car and I'm like, okay, Monica, don't cry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, okay, like use me as a vessel. Let me, my, like, let me use my words and, and we'll, we'll keep it professional. But, um, The one thing that I've learned through this whole entire journey, up until this point especially, is that um, our healing is very independent. We have to be independent in our healing. No one is going to walk us through. The one thing that is imperative is our support system. We can have people that physically hold our hands as we move through it in our minds, but we are the only ones that can can be that change within ourselves um, independently and then find that support system that of people that are just good people. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it takes switching up the group, but, yes. you know, but you got to get the good people. It's worth it. It's worth it. The whole perspective shifts whenever you got good people. Absolutely. I think that is such important advice to our listeners. And, you know, I encourage this often with my patients you know, people put up with friendships where they're not treated well all the time. All the time. I mean, guilty as charged. I mean, that has been often the story of my life with pretty much every friend that I have had. Um, there are some some few exceptions, and as I've gotten healthier, I've learned more. But when I sit with patients, I'm like, dude, we got to fire that person from your life. And the fear is I'm not going to have anyone. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, as long as that space is filled with that toxic and unsupportive friendship, there won't be room for the the support system that you are speaking to. And so that in and of itself is courage to let go of the people that are supposed to be that, that are in our lives, but aren't able to offer it. 
in in the trust and understanding that there are people and when you let go of people holding that space you're able to encounter and meet those people and find that healing community Mm, the vibrations absolutely and so you you are one of those here in Waco (laughs) yeah we're back you know absolutely we're back and we're ready like I said it's it's time. Waco's had this darkness about it, especially being a hub for human trafficking. Uh, you know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. sex, you know, so that's a whole nother conversation. But we're mm-hmm. here to, to support and, and be be the pillar. Absolutely. And what a beautiful <laughs> pillar you are. Mm. I'm just so grateful. You too. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is a love fest so yeah. much for me. I'm like, oh, I admire these women so much. But I'm just so grateful for you today, for the ways in which you have shared so boldly. Um, and to continue to see the ways in which you are transforming our city uh, mm. as part of this movement. You know, it's the people not the power. Okay, girl. The people yes, are always. creating this movement and it's beautiful to see and it's diverse and it's welcoming and inclusive and and knowing that you are here and a part of it just warms my heart. So um, again, just so appreciate you and look forward to our coffee dates. And I know, and right? All the things, all the things. classes in the future. For all of sure. <laughs> well, thank you so much for listening to, to this conversation today. I know that it has been dense and um, for some listeners, probably very challenging to hear. But I, I hope that you hear the strength in both of our voices Monica and I, as survivors of abuse and of sexual violence, um, we are not afraid. We are here and we are strong. And Mm. so I hope that serves as a testament and also as, um, you know, I need you all to be a little bit uncomfortable because that's where the change happens. But also within that, to understand that it is going to be okay, it is okay, and healing is possible Um, And I think that's being demonstrated today. So uh, I'm ending feeling really positive. I think Monica is too. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm really looking forward to to seeing you all again or having you guys listen to me all again next time when I have (laughs) another amazing woman sharing her story on Sister Speak. Um, Have a great week, loved ones. And we'll be back again to open your mind and break your heart and then heal it again with the stories. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Emma J. Church for updates and podcast schedule. Catch the show on your favorite podcast platform or at roguemedianetwork.com.